My name is LJ. Um, I am the pastor of youth and mission here. Uh, and this Sunday, I get to fill in for Jamie. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, now that I think about it, I believe we've had sound issues every single time I've preached. Um, so I'm beginning to wonder if I am the problem, like if I'm actually uh, causing this. But this is, uh, this is definitely the worst of it. But we're doing great, and I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that the Lord has given us resources so that we can, we can carry on. Um, we're in a little bit of a transition week here at Redeemer. Typically, um, at Redeemer, when we do preach, we try to preach through a whole book of the Bible going verse by verse. Now, we've been saying that for many, many weeks, and if you've been visiting with us, you probably uh, are a little confused because we've actually just finished a topical study on the kingdom of God and, and the advent of the king getting into Christmas. And here I am now preaching a one-off, uh, one-off message. But next week, we are actually starting our next book. So I encourage you guys to come join us uh, next Sunday, and we're going to be starting another book study in which we will begin to study verse by verse through the word. Um, this week, I was asked to fill in, and being asked to fill in, I was given more freedom than I've ever been given before. I was given the freedom to choose my passage and my subject. Um, I was only given one real boundary, and that was I was asked, no matter what, I'm not allowed to preach a cheesy New Year's resolution sermon. So that being said, I'm going to try to honor that request, and I'm going to preach, uh, hopefully, a non-cheesy New Year's resolution sermon. <laughs> I'm going to try my best. Um, but it's kind of hard to avoid it. Like we're at that point of the year where we're all reevaluating ourselves. We're kind of looking and, and, and asking the question, well, what do we want of 2022? It's pretty consistent within our culture um, that this is the season where we look back and say, hey, this is what I'd like to change. And, and we make resolutions in order to move forward. Um, statistically, they say about 70% of our, pop- our population will make a formal resolution of some sort. All right. Um, of that 70%, 50% of the people that make that resolution will have dropped it by January the 19th. All right. So uh, we are resolved, but only for a little while. All right. Now, the, the reason why I bring this up is just this. is One, I think it says something good about our culture. I think it says something good about us that we actually do desire improvement. We do desire to get better. But at the same time, it also communicates something about us. It communicates that there is a natural weakness. There, there is a natural desire for us to want to improve in certain ways. But then it's, it's relatively consistent that after a period, we kind of fall away from that. Right now, I, I, I don't want to preach a typical New Year's resolution sermon simply because of the fact that This idea of resolutions also comes with a lot of pressure and can very easily come with a lot of shame as well. A lot of us that start the year with really good intentions can end up feeling really bad about ourselves uh, just a few weeks into the season. And then that's not what I want. I don't in any way, shape, or form want to communicate a message that encourages that. Uh, Instead, I want the opposite. I want to encourage us, and specifically I want to encourage us towards a certain goal. And that is because when we talk about New Year's resolutions, uh, the Christian community, we usually make very similar resolutions as the rest of the community, as the rest of the world at large. Uh, Right now, if you look, the three most common resolutions that are made are the resolution to eat better, to eat healthier food, to exercise more, and to save more money, right? Right, That's normally what we do. But within the Christian community, we usually have this fourth one that's ticked in there. And that is usually about this time of year is when we all resolve to study Scripture more or to study Scripture better. This is the season where we all look back and we think, well, spiritually, what is an area that I'd like to grow? And it's very common within the Christian community for us to come to that realization that we really need more time in the Word. We need more time there. And that's a good thing. So today's message is going to be focused specifically not not on the idea of having resolutions, but it's going to be focused on this idea of, hey, it is a good thing to be resolved to be in the word more, to study the word more. It's a good thing to make that commitment because that desire, that push to be in the word more is something that we see Paul using very consistently when he's trying to encourage his disciples. 
In this passage specifically, we see Paul encouraging Timothy to get in the word, be in the scriptures because it's profitable for you. And what we're going to do is our our goal today is we're going to study through this passage. And and the, the heart of this message, I hope, is that when you get to a point where you realize like, hey, I had this commitment but I've just not followed through or I had this plan and I I kind of dropped off a little bit or I had this goal and I'm I'm just not really meeting up to it. My heart is, is that you'll think back on this passage. You'll think back on this message and you'll be encouraged to just pick back up again, that you'll be encouraged to pick the word back up to reengage. All right. So that's the heart. This is not a, a, a pressure to make you form a new year's resolution. Um, I'm assuming that as believers, all of us have that desire, uh, that desire to study the word more. But also we have to understand in the same way that we may have the desire to study the word more. We may fall away from our study of scripture in the way that we fall away from our other commitments. And this is meant to be an encouragement. You just pick it up and keep running. I'm going to go ahead and confess something to you at this point in my spiritual life. I thought I would be at the point that when I woke up in the morning, like I would just levitate into my study and like a cup of coffee would manifest in my hand and like I would immediately begin to dive into the Hebrew and the Greek and the Latin and the King's English. Like, like I just thought that that's just what took place. Like at this point in my maturity, I should be there where I'm just in it. But the truth be told is, is that's not the way that it works. The, the study of the scripture requires discipline. And even though the desire is strong because I have the Holy Spirit within me that, that wants me to be in the word, that is leading me into that word, even though that desire may be natural within me, the discipline to follow through with it is not always as strong as I'd like it to be. But we need it. The title of this message is Not By Bread Alone. We opened up this, this topic today by going back and looking at what God was sharing with Israel in Deuteronomy where he sits down and says, Hey, it's really important that you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God is intended to sustain us. And here in this passage, we see the way that Paul encourages Timothy to be sustained by the word of God. And as we're as we see the way Paul encourages Timothy, I hope that we're encouraged in a very similar way. So we're going to go ahead and pick up right in verse 14. I'm going to read just follow with me. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So this verse we're picking up about midway through a thought process that Paul is already communicating to Timothy. All right, so he says, but as for you. So this leaves us with the assumption that he's actually been talking about what other people are doing. And since he was explaining how other people are living, he's now telling Timothy, you should not live that way. Now, Paul is preparing Timothy for a very difficult season. Timothy has been called to be an elder at a church in Ephesus. And Paul is telling him, hey, there's going to be a lot of pressure that comes with this position. You're, you're going to lead this church, but understand that you're going to lead this church as they're in the middle of a culture that's going to result in persecution. You're going to leave this church during a season when people are going to be intentionally trying to deceive the church and mislead the church and lead the church astray. Not only that, but you're going to be leading this church within a larger culture that rejects God entirely. At the beginning of chapter 3, he says, Timothy, understand this, that in these last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful and unholy, heartless, unappeasable. They'll be slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. They'll be treacherous and reckless, swollen with conceit. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul says, Timothy, you've got to avoid these people. Now, I want to understand when he's saying, Timothy, avoid these people. He is not saying go and seclude yourself. Go live in a monastery somewhere and just isolate yourself entirely. But he's saying, hey, there is a way of life. That this culture is living and you cannot live in this way anymore. And Paul is not saying this from a, from a judgmental tone. Paul is not saying this from the mentality of, hey, we are believers. These people are awful. We are much better. Paul, when preaching, would often say, hey, of all of the sinners in the world, I am the chief of them all. But what Paul is saying is, is, hey, Timothy, you now follow Christ. And as you follow Christ, you cannot live the way that the world used to live, even if you still have those desires. But instead, and listen, he says, but as for you... What you should do is continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Said so, Timothy, can't, you can't walk that way anymore. You can't live that way anymore. And the way that you avoid it, the way that you stay out of it is by continuing in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. Now that word continuing, it's carrying a lot of weight in that sentence. All right, because that word continuing, it can be translated in a couple different ways. Uh, some of you may have a Bible that translated as remain. So it's not just continuing, but remain in what you have learned. Uh, some translations might actually use the word abide. So when we think about continuing in something, we might use the word continuing as if it's just simply maintaining a hobby. But when he's saying, hey, continue in what you learned, he's not saying, hey, continue in what you learned in the way that you play golf on Sundays. He's saying, abide in what you learn the way that you live in a house. Abide in what you have learned. Remain in what you have learned in the way that you depend on your home for structure in the middle of a storm. Dwell within what you have learned. And he says, well, what have you learned? He said, well, this is what you learned from your childhood. You were acquainted with the sacred writings. So he's not just saying, hey, remember the things that I taught you, but he's saying specifically, remember what you learned from the sacred writings. All right, for Timothy, this would have been the Old Testament. The beginning of the book, Paul is actually praising Timothy and praying for him and saying how thankful he is for his faith, specifically the faith that he received from his mother that was also passed down from his grandmother. That means that Timothy was raised in a home where the sacred writings were taught to him. But this is the key thing is they weren't just taught to him. They were taught to him correctly. They were taught to him in a way that actually pointed him to the Savior. They were taught to him in such a way so that when Timothy heard of Jesus, he realized all of the sacred writings that I had been studying, this is what it's pointing to. And we know this because he says this. He says these sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, Timothy, if you want to know how you live and you pastor in a world that is the way that it is. The scriptures point you to Jesus Christ so that you can put your faith in him. He says, wise for salvation. Now, salvation here can be understood in a couple of different ways. Oftentimes, when we think of salvation, we think of salvation as the moment that we believed, the moment that we were justified, the moment that we were forgiven and sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is absolutely true. The scriptures make us wise for that there's somebody in this room today that, that is looking at the world around them. They're looking at their life and they're realizing, hey, I don't know why it's broken, but something's broken. If somebody is in their life and they're, they're holding on to guilt and they're like, I know that I've made mistakes and I don't, know how to, I don't know how to remove this guilt. There's nothing that I can do to get rid of this guilt. If there's somebody that has experienced things that has hurt them, that's broken them, and like, I know that I'm broken, I know that I need healing, what do I do? Well, this is what Paul is saying is that these scriptures are what make you wise for salvation. If you are guilty, the scriptures point you to Jesus Christ who is able to forgive you of your sin. If you are broken, the scriptures point you to Jesus Christ that is able to bring healing and redemption into your life. And the goal of the scriptures is to bring us about faith in the ones that hear it. Is this is what makes us wise for salvation. 
The Holy Scriptures point us to Christ and remind us, hey, when you were lost and you had no way of being found, it's not up to you to, 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 to getting back out of that. It's Christ and Christ alone that will bring you out of that. Trust him. Hey, if you are a believer and you've already decided to follow Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, but you're in a point of despair or you're held by a sin that you can't just seem to get out. You're living in a world that you don't seem to understand how to get out of it. And you're like, well, where do I go? Go to the scriptures because the scriptures are going to point you to Jesus Christ. And if you trust in Christ, you can trust that he will lead you through this. Guys, why is it so good for us to be resolved to study the scriptures? Because the scriptures are what make us wise. And that wisdom is what allows us to work out our salvation as we live in a world that does not want anything to do with the kingdom of God. That is constantly in battle with it. Uh, when I was in college, I used to work at this camp. At this camp, we did a lot of outdoor activities, right? Mountain biking, rock climbing, all of those fun things. Well, one weekend, a couple of my buddies convinced me to go splunking with them. I don't know if you know what splunking is, but it's where you take people that were created to live on the surface of the earth. And then you force them to go into a place where no human being should be. Right. It's essentially caving. You're going into these caves. So we walk into this cave and, and you know, you get a little headlamp and. You're walking through, and I'm kind of like, okay, this isn't too bad. I don't feel comfortable in tight spaces. I'm feeling very uncomfortable in this moment. And I come up, and I realize it's dark. I can't see anything. I'm up to my waist in water, and there is a wall in front of me. So I turn to the guy that's leading us. And I'm like, well, what do we do now? And he said, oh, we go to the other side. And I'm like, no, we're not meant to be on the other side. And I was like, I don't see a door. There's no hallways. We're clearly, this is where we're meant to go. We're done. And he said, no, no, no. Like you go under the rock. Like you go under the water and you crawl under the rock and then you come out on the other side and there's this big room. And I'm like, no, no, you don't do that. Like that, that seems to be like what you don't do. And he said, no, just try it with me. So he convinced me to do it because I succumb to peer pressure very easily. And uh, so I'm under this rock and I squeeze my way through and I pop up on the other side. And sure enough, it wasn't. It, it wasn't that bad. Like you come out of the rock, you're on the other side, and it's this big room, and it's kind of cool. And I look, and I'm like, buddy, we got a problem. And he's like, what? And he said, well, how do I get out? And he said, well, you go back the other way. And I was like, no, I don't. No, I do not do that. I came in that way. I'm never going that way again. Like I realized at that moment I would made a terrible mistake. All right, I took a path I should have never taken, and now I'm in a room that I shouldn't have been in, and I'm just going to die there. Like, I'm in this dark room, and I'm like, this is it. I'm fine. This is the way that it ends for me. I'm only 22 at this point. Like, I'm happy with this. Like, I can take it. I'm not going back under that rock again. Well, thankfully, he turned to me and was like, hey, man, there's actually another way out. I'm like, and he just walked me out the backside of the cave. <laughs> I was so thankful because I, I was not. It just wasn't going to happen. Guys, this is... I don't know how we get there sometimes, but guys, this is the way that our lives end up sometimes. There are seasons that we enter into where we realize, man, I've gotten to a place and I don't know how I got there, but I sure am here. And it's terrifying and it's lonely and it feels like I'm going to be here forever. It feels like there is no way out. And whatever way I got there, I'm not going back that way again. What on earth do I possibly do? We've all been into these seasons before. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, hey, when you're pastoring this church, there are going to be times when it seems like everything around you is falling apart, but when it seems like everything around you is falling apart, rest, abide, remain in the word that you have because it will make you wise for salvation because it will constantly point you to Jesus Christ. And if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he will not abandon you. Amen. Well, not only that, but he tells Timothy... He says, do not forget, he said, abide in it, what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. Knowing from whom you learned it. This is a big deal. This is very consistent in Paul's uh, teaching. When Paul discipled, there was this expectation that whatever Paul taught to someone, there was the expectation that that person would receive that teaching and then pass it to other people. This is very consistent. Anytime he discipled somebody, there was with this expectation of anything that you were taught, 
teach it to others. At the beginning of Timothy, he even says that the things that I've taught you, teach them to faithful men who will then teach them to faithful men. This is the, the practice. But it's not just that you teach to the next generation, but Paul also practiced the idea of, hey, whatever you learned or whatever God is doing in your life, make sure you go back to the people that taught you those things and and allow them to see the way that God is working. We live in a faith community and we learn within a faith community. And when we approach the scriptures, we are intended to approach the scriptures individually, but collectively as well. So Paul is saying, hey, don't forget the things that you learned, but also don't forget where you learned them. Paul is saying, Timothy, I walked for, with you for years. I taught you what I knew and I taught you how to live it out. But even before I knew you, remember your mom, she invested in you so strongly. She taught you everything that she knew so that you would be prepared for the moment that you encountered Jesus Christ. And not just, not, not just your mom, but your grandmother. She invested everything she had in you. Remember where you learned it. Now, this is actually kind of a sensitive thing to ask Timothy to do because Timothy has just been discipled for many, many years by Paul. And I, I hate to spoil 2 Timothy for you, but Paul is about to tem- tell Timothy, hey, my time is done. Paul has been mentored and walked through difficulty. Not Paul. Timothy has been mentored and walked through difficult times by Paul. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm not going to be here anymore. My time is over. I don't know if any of you guys have had somebody that has really walked with you through hardships, somebody that's mentored you, somebody that you could always get on the phone, somebody that you could always trust to talk to you about things. But man, it's you just become so heavily dependent on those people. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to have people that pour into you in that way. But I'll tell you, if you've ever had someone like that and lost them, it can feel devastating. And that leads us to the next point is Paul is reminding them, hey, don't just abide in the word, but remember that this word is ultimately from God. It says, for all scripture is breathed out by God. Yeah, Timothy, you may have been discipled by Paul and Timothy, you may have been taught by your mother and your grandmother. But remember, if you have heard from the Lord, you have heard from the Lord ultimately because the Lord wanted you to hear from him. If there is truth to be acquired, if there's knowledge that you need, if there's there's growth in spirituality that you need. Remember, you have everything that you need in the spirit inspired word of God. When Paul died, Timothy was going to be missing so much, but he was going to be lacking nothing. Because as long as he had the scripture, he had everything that he needed for salvation and a life of godliness. As long as he had the scripture, he was hearing from God. And that was a huge encouragement for Timothy. And in the same way it was a huge encouragement for Timothy, it should be a huge encouragement for us. Because what that means is, is that if we have the scripture in our hands, we have in our hands evidence that God desires that we know him. That means if you have people in your life that speak scripture and teach scripture into your life, you have evidence in your life that God desires that you know him, that God loves you and desires that you follow him. If you come to a church where the word is preached, whether preached well or not well, you have evidence of the fact that the Lord desires that you know him. And I say this simply because it's so easy when we drop our discipline or we fall off of our reading plan or we, we get way too far behind in our Bible study. It's so easy to live in guilt and shame and feel like you've really messed up. And what I want you to understand is I want you to set that aside and just simply say, hey, if the word is still there, God wants me to know him. So I'm going to put aside what was behind me and I'm just going to pick it back up and go again. That's Paul's encouragement to Timothy. You have God's word, so you're lacking nothing. The next thing is, is Paul is reminding Timothy that the word that you have that is breathed out by God, the scripture that you have that's breathed out by God, it's profitable. It's useful. Well, what's it useful for? It's useful for teaching. 
It's useful for reproof and correction, and it's useful for training in righteousness. Now, Timothy is a pastor. He's going to lead a congregation, and part of pastoring is learning to teach. It's learning how to rebuke and correct people whenever they're, they're in the wrong. And it's not just the opposite side of the correction. is also training them in how to live in a righteous lifestyle. Here's the intimidating factor. Timothy was a young man. He was young enough that most people would have disregarded him. That's why Paul has to say, hey, guys, don't let anybody don't let anybody just push you aside because you're young. Like rest in what the scripture says. Teach what I've taught you. Timothy was also a bit of a shy guy. You're talking about a young man that's walking into a very difficult pastoral situation and realizing that I'm now called by God to go and to lead this church. And part of the responsibility that I have is that I have to be able to teach them truths about God. I have to be able to correct them when they're wrong. And I have to be able to train them to learn how to live righteous lives. How in the world am I going to do this? And Paul is going back and he's saying, hey, abide in the scriptures because they're profitable. In the scriptures is everything that you need for teaching, correction, and training. It's all there. It's all right there for you. You don't have to rely on your own wisdom. You don't have to rely on your own thoughts. Abide in the scripture because it's there for you. Now, there are certain implications on this. Number one is the implication that if the, if the scripture is profitable for teaching, profitable for correction, and profitable for training, then the assumption is that the people that approach the scripture are in need of being taught, are in need of being corrected, and are in need of being trained. Now, we're not in the same circumstance that Timothy is in. Paul was preparing Timothy to pastor a church. So a lot of Timothy's ministry was going to be directed to the church. But keep in mind, Paul never led any of the places where he taught from a position of arrogance. When Paul was preaching to the room, he assumed he was the chief sinner. When Paul was serving the community, he assumed that he was the least of these. Not only that, but when he teaches Timothy, he tells Timothy, hey, my desire for you is to be a faithful servant who gently comes to the congregation. He's not preparing Timothy to be a know-it-all that just directs everybody else's life. He's preparing Timothy to engage the scripture himself. And then out of his own knowledge of the scripture, then be able to teach others. See, Timothy would have known outright that if the scripture is profitable for teaching, that Timothy would need to know what it said first. If he was going to use the, the scripture to correct somebody else, Timothy was well aware of the fact that he probably needed to be corrected first. If he was going to be using it for training, he probably needed to be trained first. And guys, I think that if this assumption is there for Paul and Timothy, I think that when we approach the scripture, we have to come to the scripture with a very similar humility. When we approach the scripture, we have to come to the scripture with this idea of, I just don't know it all. So I have to be taught. I have to be taught. Why do I need to be taught? Because there's going to be a world out there. There's going to be a world out there that is going to tell you nobody loves you, nobody cares for you. And you need to know the teaching of the scripture that tells you that the Lord loves you. There is going to be a world out there that's going to tell you that you're all alone and you need to know the scripture that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's going to be a world out there that's going to tell you you're a terrible person and you need to know the scripture that confirms that you are, in fact, a terrible person. But you need to realize that, hey, the scripture is going to tell me I'm a sinful person, but the scripture is also going to teach me that in Christ I can be forgiven. I can be clothed in his righteousness and I can be justified by him. Guys, we need the truth because we live in a world that wants to lie to us. We need the truth because we have a dead man within us that wants to lie to us all day long. We need to be in the truth because we need that truth to sustain us. 
Guys, we need to be corrected in the same way that everybody needs to be corrected. When we approach the scripture, assume that you have something to be corrected. I'm going to tell you, whenever I hit the passage of scripture that says, hey, to anyone that goes and forgives his neighbor, God will forgive him. But if you withhold forgiveness from your neighbor, God will withhold forgiveness from you. I do not like that passage. But I know within me is a heart that sometimes wants to withhold scripture. I'm not withhold scripture, but withhold forgiveness. And I need to be corrected. When it says do not repay evil for evil, I know that within me is a heart that desperately wants to repay evil for evil. But I need to be corrected in these areas. But it's not just the correction that comes. And this is what's so beautiful. Along with the correction also comes the training for righteousness. Well, Paul, in his discipleship, would oftentimes talk about what it looks like to grow in your faith. And he would talk about it from the perspective of putting off the old and putting on the new. Hey, it's time to take off the dirty clothes and put on clean clothes. Hey, it's time to put off the dead man and live in the spirit, like live in the new man. Here he says, hey, the the scripture is profitable for correcting the wrong, but also learning to teach you what's right. You used to have a heart that was so hateful. Allow the scripture to train you and teach you how to love somebody else. If you used to have a heart that was bent towards stealing or deception, learn to tell the truth and work, make money, and then give it to the poor. There's a training that takes place, and here's the strong encouragement that comes, and I love this, is if the scripture is profitable for teaching, correction, and training, that means... That we're able to be taught, we're able to be corrected, and we're capable of being trained. I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to that have sat down and told me, I just feel like I'm stuck. I feel like I'm here and I can never move forward. I feel like this sin has held on to me and I can never get past it. Well, here's what I want you to understand, that the scripture is actually profitable for correcting that. For rebuking it, but also training you on how to live righteous. Well, can you do it on your own? Absolutely not. You cannot do it on your own. Well, who do you need? Well, you need Jesus Christ. Well, what are the scriptures good for? Well, abiding in the scriptures is really good at making you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We need it, guys. We desperately need to be in that word. And the final point that I want to make is this, is that It's not just a word from God. It's not just a word for change, which is the second point we went through. The third one, it is a word to equip. So Timothy is going to be a pastor. And the truth is, is that he was probably wholly inadequate for that position. I don't know of anybody that's been in the ministry that has honestly felt that they were fully adequate for the position that they were holding. I seldom, whenever I talk to people that are, that are trying to walk through others through difficult situations or trying to disciple others, when I talk to parents that are trying to teach their kids, I seldom meet a person that's like, I'm fully adequate for this. Like, I've got it all figured out. That's just not the way that, that most of us feel. Most of us feel like we're lacking something. And because a lot of times we feel like we're lacking something, we oftentimes just don't achieve and we don't even try it. See, Timothy was called to go and pastor this church. And Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, I want you to be aware of the fact that if you're called to go and pastor this church, that within the scripture is everything that you need to be equipped to do what God has called you to do. Equipped for the good works is specifically what it says. Actually, it says that you may be complete and equipped for every good work. And that word complete there is so interesting. It doesn't mean that you'll be perfect. It doesn't mean that you'll be without flaw, but it means that everything that will be necessary for you to accomplish the good work that the Lord has for you, you will have had it and found it in the word of God. This is huge. The word of God not only sustains us by pointing us to Christ. The word of God not only works change in our lives by constantly pointing us to Christ, but the, the, Lord of, the word of God actually equips us and trains us for the good works that God has for us. Now, this is a huge bridge that, that's hard to cross within ministry. Is how do you go from a people that love to learn to a people that love to do? 
How do you get there? Like, how do you make that transition? James talks about this. Like, hey, faith and works are never meant to be divorced from one another. Good faith should always result in good works. This tells us something about the way that we approach Scripture. When we approach Scripture, we should approach Scripture with the idea that it is preparing us for something. It's training us for something. There's three categories that I see consistently. There's probably more, but I'm going to bring up three right now. Uh, One is we know that as we mature in Christ and as we pursue Scripture, we should be trained for service to the church. As we engage the Scripture, we should be trained and equipped to be active members within the church. In uh, Jamie's message on Titus, he talked about this a lot. Like older women should be trained and equipped to train younger women. Older men should be teaching younger men. There is this idea that there, you're called to be a part of a congregation, to be a part of a church. And we all have different giftings and we all have different roles that we play within the church. But everybody has a role. So if you're pursuing the scripture and you're pursuing the Lord, you should assume that you have some sort of role and responsibility within the church. And the good news is, is that if you have that role and responsibility, that the scripture is going to train you and equip you for that. The second thing is this acts of charity. All throughout scripture, you have these categories of people that that are that are mentioned that people of faith should be responding to. You have the poor, the widow. You have the the sojourner, those that are traveling in a foreign land. You have prisoners. There's a large category of people that are oftentimes considered to be vulnerable or oppressed. And people of faith are always called to respond to these people. These are good works that we're called to. James even goes as far as saying that pure and undefiled religion is this. It is taking care of the orphan and the widow and keeping oneself unstained from the world or unstained from sin. This is a huge part of what we're doing. So when we're approaching the scripture, we have to look beyond just what the scripture is going to do for me. But we have to ask ourselves, Lord, if you are bringing about sanctification in my life, what are the works that you're also preparing me for? And the third one that I want to bring up because I'm the pastor of missions and I love to talk about it is the advancement of the gospel. This is the good works. This is what the church was doing. The church was empowered by the Holy Spirit Spirit to bear witness. So as we go to the scripture and we're reading the scripture, we should assume that we're being trained and equipped for the purpose of advancing the gospel. Either advancing the gospel to our neighbors, advancing the gospel to populations where there are no churches, or advancing the gospel internationally. There's so many different avenues, but we should assume, we should always assume that if the Lord has a word for us, that that word will be beneficial for us, but that there's always going to be the responsibility to then carry that word to the next generation. Guys, it's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing what the Lord desires to do within our lives. It's just unbelievable. You know, in seminary, we learn these phrases that the the word of the Lord or the the scripture in itself is sufficient um, and efficacious. That means that the scripture is sufficient in that it gives you everything that you need for salvation and a life of godliness. But it's efficacious in that the scripture is actually capable capable of affecting the change that it can claim to change in your life. Because I don't think we realize how powerful the word of God is. Well, let me rephrase that. I actually want to take back that statement. We do realize how powerful it is. That's why we have that strong desire every year to make that commitment to get back into that Bible study. This is why we have that strong desire to read through the Bible one more time in a year, to dig deeper into the study, to dig deeper into a specific book. We know how powerful it is. We know exactly how powerful it is. But our hearts have a tendency of wandering. So again, this message is not intended to be a guilt trip. 
This message is intended to be an encouragement that if you get two months down the road and you have completely abandoned your Bible study, I want you to think back on this message and simply say, hey, the word of God is everything that it claims to be. And it's just time to open it back up and start again. If it's been two years since you've cracked open the Bible, don't worry about what you've missed. Pick it up and start. Just pick it up and move. Start going forward with it. I mean, some of you guys really like rigidity and planning and and having structure. Uh, My wife is one of them. She loves to have like really detailed plans and make calendars and set goals and all of that stuff. And that seems like it would destroy me. (laughs) And it's really good for her. It doesn't work for me. But the goal here is not the goal here is not simply to just make the devotion. The goal here is to establish a pattern of abiding in the word and being sustained by it. I'm going to end by just giving a couple of tips. These go really fast. If you find yourself in a position where you realize you need to be in the Word more and you're just not sure what to do or where to get started, my first tip to you would be just get started. If you need help in knowing what's a good book to start in within the Bible, any of the pastors or elders are on staff, any of the small group leaders, there's many people that would help you find that right spot. But... If you're looking for the perfect read through the Bible plan, if you're looking for the perfect book study to help you get through it, it might take time to find the one that you like. And what I'm saying is, is don't wait until you find the perfect, perfect plan. Just get started somewhere. Just get in it. Right. The next thing is I'm going to encourage you is to be prayerful. Anytime you engage the scripture, be prayerful in the way that you engage that scripture. I want you to remember that every time you open the scripture and engage with the scripture, this is a spiritual encounter that's taking place. There is a living God that resides in you that is the same God that inspired this world word. And every time you approach it, this is a divine encounter. So stop for a moment and pray and just realize, Lord, what is it like for me to enter into your presence like this? The next thing is this is be intentional. There are 24 hours in a day. You don't get more. You've got 24 hours. Now, we live in a country that's incredibly efficient. And a lot of us are accustomed to just being able to do more. Like a lot of us already have a full day, but we think, ah, I can just add one more thing. Why not? But the fact of the matter is, is that if your 24 hours are already full and you're trying to add intentional time in the word on top of that, you're setting yourself up for failure. Intentionality matters. You're going to have to stop and ask yourself, hey, where do I use my hours and how do I prioritize it? If my time's full, what do I need to remove to get it in there? Because I promise you, if it's not in there, you need it. You need it in the same way that you need breakfast. You need it in the same way that I need a cup of coffee. Like, the longer you go without it, things just don't work well. Be intentional. Third thing is, commit to reading large passages at a time. All right, we live in the world of of Snapchat. We live in the world of TikTok and Twitter, where we're we're accustomed to just reading snippets, small bits as we go. Right, And I'm not anti these things. I I like these things. But what it does is it trains us to only comprehend things in small passages. Well, the thing is, is that Paul didn't write Timothy one verse at a time. I'm just imagining him like writing a verse and taping it to a carrier pigeon, sending it off. No, he wrote a letter. And what Paul intended for Timothy to do was to sit and read the letter in full, in context, because context matters. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't certain verses that you can just stop on and rest in. But what I am saying is try to make it a habit to read larger passages. Like dive in, man. And, and don't start with this idea of like when you approach them and you're reading the harder passages, don't open them up and think, well, what is the deep meaning of it? Start simply with the question of what does it say? What's going on? Just get into it and get it into your mind. Get it into your heart. Here's another one. Be flexible and gracious. You might start a plan and get three months into it and realize this was a bad idea. And if in order to stay in the word, you need to drop that plan and pick up another book, do it. If you get a couple months behind, be kind to yourself, people. Just be gracious with yourself. Pick it back up. 
Just keep going. Here's a big one. Don't avoid hard passages. There's two reasons why I find that we like to avoid hard passages. One is because some passages are just difficult to understand. And when we hit one that's just hard to understand, we move over it. Here's the encouragement that I want for you. I'm looking at Stephen Carlson. I'm, I'm, I'm making up a percentage. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now, I'm completely making up a percentage. All right, I've got no evidence for what I'm about to say, but I, I feel confident in it, so I'm just going to move forward. I would say that 95% of Scripture is understandable just through a simple reading of it. So much of Scripture does not require advanced degrees to understand. So much of Scripture does not require commentaries to help you dig into it. So much of Scripture can be understood if you would just devote yourself to reading the passages and rereading the passages and just asking the question, what is it saying? Scripture is not intended to be confusing. God wants to be known. Like he didn't give us some weird mystery biblical puzzle to put together. Like he wants us to understand it. But I want to give the caveat, some passages are hard. Some passages are really, really hard to understand. But don't avoid them. Get help. We've got more PhDs in this small congregation than anywhere I've I think we have more PhDs than some universities have. Like, if you hit a passage that's hard to understand, come to the pastoral team, come to the elders, come to some of the people here that have spent time diving into these passages. Don't avoid a passage simply because it's hard. Dig deeper into it because sometimes it's in those hard passages that the Lord has a rich, rich message that's there for you. Now, the other reason that we avoid passages that are hard is because we don't like what they say about us. We'll hit a passage, and we'll be like, well, surely they don't mean me. <laughs> so we just read on through. We just go on into the next passage. We just read until we find something we like. Guys, it's profitable for correction, and that means that a good God desires that we be corrected. So when you hit a passage that's hard, and it's hard because it speaks into an area of your life that makes you feel uncomfortable, what I'm saying is, is don't see that as a sign to move on to the next passage. I'm saying see that as a sign to set up a camp and just sit there for a while. Let the passage speak to you. Let it convict you. Let it change you. Here's my other advice. Get help. <laughs> if you have something that's speaking into your life and it begins to hurt a little bit, come find somebody that will walk through that with you. That'll talk through it with you. Because I promise you that what God wants is he wants you to be conformed to his image. And what he wants from you is, in fact, good. Amen. Even if it hurts in the moment, it's good. So here's the main goal. Remember that, the, that what we're striving towards is not just simply reaching goals that we're able to celebrate. What we're striving towards is developing habits that are life-changing because of the Word of God. Our goal is not that you get up and read 30 minutes every single day of the year. Our goal is that reading Scripture becomes so natural that if a couple of days goes by where you haven't done it, you begin to feel the effects. It's that habit, keeping it going. We call this liturgy. In church, we have liturgy. We have these practices of worship that we come into. And these practices of worship are what constantly bring us and focus us on the message of Jesus Christ. We have a lot of liturgy here at Redeemer. All right, You think about the fact that we pass the offering plate every week. We don't pass the offering plate every week just to remind you of the fact that you need to be giving your money to the church. That's not the goal. We pass the offering every week so that as a congregation, we're reminded that Jesus deserves the first fruits. That God deserves the first fruits. Because we have a liturgy of baptizing. And anytime somebody comes to faith, we, we, we have this practice where we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the way that the Scripture commands us. And we do this as an act of worship to remind ourselves, hey, ghost, those of us that have believed in Christ, we're dead to the old man. And now we live a new life in Christ because of his work. This is a liturgy that we practice that constantly draws us back to the message of Jesus Christ. 
And what I'm saying is in the same way that you come and you participate in liturgy within church, what I'm saying is, hey, invest in developing personal liturgy. Invest in developing these spiritual habits, these spiritual disciplines that will constantly bring you back to the word, which is capable of making you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And every message that we, uh, we have here at Redeemer, we end with a call to respond, which in itself is a liturgy. We end in the Lord's Supper. Paul used the Lord's Supper in the same way that he talks about all of his teaching. He uses his teach, the, the Lord's Supper as, as a means of continuing to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Corinthians, he teaches it this way. He says, for when I received... For what I received from the Lord is what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, in the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a liturgy. We participate in every week to remind us of the gospel that we believe and to encourage us and to strengthen us to push forward until he comes. I'm going to invite those that will be passing out the Lord's Supper to go ahead and come up because in a moment we're going to take the Lord's Supper today as we do every week. Now, if you are not a believer, if you're here today and you're, you realize, I don't have a relationship with Christ. I don't, I don't believe this. I've never decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask that you do not take this cup today. And it's not because we're withholding anything. Our desire is not to withhold anything from you. The, the fact of the matter is, is that we take this in order to proclaim what we believe until he comes again. But I'm saying if you don't believe, the first step is not taking the cup. The first step is meeting Jesus and deciding to follow him. So if you're not a believer and you want to know Christ, you want to enter into a relationship with him, I invite you to come speak with us today. In the back, there's a table with further information. Uh, that, and there's always somebody back there. There's typically somebody back there that would love to talk to you about those things. I would love to talk to you about that. But for the rest of us, those of us that trust in Christ, those of us that are following Christ, I invite you to take the cup with us today and, and to remember the message that Christ gave us, to remember the gospel. I'm going to pray and we're going to pass it out. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the fact that your word does exactly what you say that it does. It does teach. It does train. It does correct. It does sustain. And Lord, that's what we ask is as we approach you, as we follow you, Lord, that we would be sustained by it. Lord, we love you and praise you. Amen.